Well, good morning. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to spend some time trying to make heads or tails of that passage. Uh, So before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its clarity and its diversity. I don't know if we would have chosen to record a passage such as this, but in your wisdom and your providence and your grace you have. And so I pray that you help us to see the clarity, the beauty, and the relevance of it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I just prayed, this seems like a little bit of a travel log, like what's going on? Then I did this, and then I did that, and I went to this place for three years, and I went to that place for 14 years. It's like, what is going on here? But it's one of the One of the reasons why here at New City we like to preach through like books of the Bible is because we want the Bible to shape us and not us to shape the Bible. And so here's this, you know, this passage about it's really Paul's autobiography. He's having to, in a sense, defend his gospel. There's, you know, by way of a little bit of review, there's, you know, he had gone there and proclaimed Jesus, the gospel. And if I could summarize the gospel here, I would say it's the identity of Jesus as the Son of God that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again. Okay, A lot of people kind of stop there with the gospel, but that's not wise. We need to keep going. The good news doesn't stop at the resurrection. Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, and he sent the Holy Spirit upon everyone who believes. That's an essential part of the good news. And then it doesn't stop there. We know how the story ends. Amen? That's the final part of the good news. And so that kind of encapsulates the the good news of Paul's gospel. And all of that is received by grace through faith, apart from human efforts, commitment to the law, or other things. That was Paul's gospel. He went there and preached it. But another group of people came in. He says kind of secretly sneak attack here, snake bites coming into the church and saying, well, yes, all that Jesus stuff is all good and well, but you also have to keep the Mosaic law. That was the the conflict, and then they were accusing Paul of having a weaker gospel, that his apostolic authority wasn't as genuine. So let me, apostolic authority, for those that might be new, that just means that, that Paul was an official, authoritative representative of Jesus in a way that very few people were. Jesus chose 12 men. One of them defected. That was Judas. He was, in a sense, replaced by, well, depending on your view here, we could have a little bit of debate, Matthias or Paul, okay? But he was, he was an official apostle, representative. That means he had authority, and they're saying, no, 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 your, your gospel was, you know, not from God, and even if it was kind of, you're dependent on the Jerusalem apostles, the ones who walked with Jesus. And so Paul has to write this Uh, response to those churches, in a sense, to defend his authority as a gospel, uh, uh, his authority in the gospel, but even, you know, more importantly, it's going to end up defending the gospel itself. And so this morning, what I don't want to do is preach Paul to you. (laughs) I want to preach the gospel of Jesus to you, and as Paul defends his gospel, we'll see that it's actually a defense of the gospel itself. So that's what's going on. That's the setup here, uh, and why Paul is you know, kind of like plunging into these details about his itinerary and travel schedule. Now, before we jump into, and I, you know, we've got a lot of work to do because I have five points this morning. So we got to roll. Last thing by introduction is this. Paul's unique defense of the gospel here is serving two purposes. One, as I just said, it's kind of defending his apostleship, which means that would be different. Nobody in this room 
is like Paul in that way. He had a unique place in the history of God's story of salvation in the church as an apostle. So we'll see some of the aspects of that. And so when it, you know, it says that, that God called me to preach among the nations. That was a unique thing that Paul had that you and I may not share. However, and this is the second part, and we'll jump into the first point. The second part of this introduction is that even though Paul has a unique role in that, there are things that we can derive from that. He still is an example for us in our Christian faith. And so we can connect that way. So that's what we're going to see as we go through these five points. We're going to see elements where some of this stuff belongs exclusively to Paul as an apostle, but it has also derivatives and applications to us in our expression, in our life here together in the gospel at New City. Make sense? All right, so let's jump in. The gospel, first of all, Paul's gospel is one of revelation. This is not man's gospel. This is the setup in verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man is the implication, but I received it as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we need to, like, get this clear and straight. So if you're coming into Christianity... This is not something, as you know, the Culture and Discovery Channel would tell you, that was made up by man. You know, my daughter had an assignment in the public school, how man made religion. Okay? No. The, the, the scriptures attest, and by the way, this wouldn't be exclusive to Christianity. Other transcendent religions would say that they have divine revelation as well. That's for a different sermon. But Christianity's claim is not that this wasn't something of human speculation. It's not like the Apostle Paul, you know, went somewhere and, you know, had a couple of moments and did or whatever this, and then all of a sudden dreamed up this whole gospel of Jesus Christ. No, we don't, in a sense, rise up to God. God reveals and makes himself known. And unless God reveals and makes himself known, you or I or anyone else on the planet would never actually know who he is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is something, in a sense, that comes from, you could say, the top down. It comes from God to us. It's divine revelation. All right, so the gospel is revelation. It's not made up by human speculation, or as he references here, nor is it just sticking to some traditions. If there was anyone who had a long history of traditions, it would have been the Apostle Paul within Judaism. They had thousands of years worth of tradition, and what he's saying happened to him in his life was in a sense a continuation of that tradition, but it was so new and dramatically different and kind of... Uh, respun, you could say almost, that it was new and revelatory. And so, the gospel that we proclaim here at New City Church is not something that we drummed up. It's not some tradition that we're holding to. This is divine revelation. So therefore, a couple of things about it. Number one, there can only be one of them. God revealed one gospel. We saw that last week when Pastor Dave preached. There is only one gospel. God has revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one gospel. And this gospel, because it has divine origins, is authoritative over any other human thought system, philosophy, or any other religion that's out there. We believe the gospel is one, it's unique, and it's authoritative over us, over our lives, over our church, over all things. And so Paul says, he got this gospel not, not derived from anyone else. In fact, 
to prove his point, he was on his way to persecute and try to stamp out and destroy people who embraced this gospel. So he, he certainly wasn't thinking, oh, I want to embrace it. I want to kill people who embrace it. And on the way there, he says he met the risen Christ. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it says that, that he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ because of this experience. And so Paul says, I got this gospel not because I was looking for it, and not by any human tradition, and not by my own speculation, but because the, the person of which the gospel is about appeared to me and made himself known to me. It's by revelation. Secondly, I would say that the gospel that we espouse here at New City, Paul's gospel, is one not only that is one of revelation, but it's also one that is confirmed. It's one of confirmation. And so you saw this, or you heard this when I read through there. You've got the Apostle Paul, who is coming to this you know, gospel and this revelation of Jesus on his own, and then he says he didn't check with anybody. For three years he went to Arabia, and then for 11 more years, so a total of 14 years, he was preaching and teaching this gospel. He was like doing it Maverick Rambo style. <laughs> you got to watch out for people like that. Oh, I got a vision, and now come follow my ministry. <laughs> so what happens here is Paul, after 14 years, he, you know, he, he made one little trip to Jerusalem. He said, I was there for 15 days. But after that, he comes to Jerusalem after 14 years, and he spends an extended period of time there with the apostles. And there, he kind of shares what he's been teaching and preaching and what he's seen the Spirit of Jesus do over that time. And as he shares that with the people who appear to be influential, Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the, the kind of Jewish part of the church, when he interacts with them, they listen to what he has done and what he has said, and they go, hmm, hmm, yeah. And then it says they extended to him the right hand of fellowship. They said, yeah, what Paul is doing is good and right and just, and it accords with our gospel. And so this does a couple of things. For those who are accusing Paul of having a different gospel or an inferior gospel, that quells that uh, accusation. That accusation holds no water. Because now his gospel has been affirmed and confirmed by the people who seem to be pillars, the Jewish-style Christians. And so there's, there's that. And at the same time, it shows the unity of the church. We don't have two churches. Had Paul and Peter, James, and John come to different ideas about this gospel, we would have two churches, two gospels. And so no, there's unity in the church, there's confirmation in the church, and there's validity in Paul's um, gospel. Now let me just stop right here and make a couple. So those are all things that are relating to Paul. Remember I told you in the beginning, it's going to be capital A stuff. That's just Paul's apostleship. Let's think about these two things in our own lives. Number one, about revelation. If you're here this morning and you are a genuine Christian, then in a, not an apostolic sense, but in a very real, true spiritual sense, you also have received a revelation. Nobody ever becomes a Christian without the Spirit of Jesus coming to them through the gospel. You hear the message about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit does something in your soul. He turns the lights on like he did with the Apostle Paul. Every single one 
If you're a Christian, that happened to you. You didn't figure it out. You didn't arrive at it just because your parents were Christians. You didn't, they're the only way. I don't care who you are. If you're a Christian, you had an experience where the Holy Spirit of God opened the eyes of your heart to see the glory of Jesus Christ and you believed and so you received the gospel by revelation. And so that should be very humbling for you. And very liberating and very encouraging. (laughs) However, just like the Apostle Paul received this awakening to the person and work of Jesus Christ and you know he kind of We'll talk about transformation in a second here, but he went off and he was Arabian, he learned some things and grew, whatever. But then he came in contact with the body of Christ that had been established so that they knew he wasn't off his rocker. (laughs) How are you going to know if your faith is legitimate, if you're actually growing in Christ? Well, then you need to connect with a body of believers who are following the apostolic uh, preaching of the gospel And then you can have your faith, in a sense, confirmed and established. The church never gives you the faith. That's something that you got on your own before God and Jesus. But the church can confirm your faith and establish and encourage your faith. And so the gospel that we want to shape us here at New City is a gospel that comes by revelation of Jesus Christ apostolic witnesses and authority, but then by derivative, by extension, all of those now who have proclaimed the gospel. I mean, I went through my own mind. I remember my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Button. I remember him teaching the gospel to us as little kids, and I remember believing that gospel in my garage and then going to play basketball, and then my sister was there, and I said, we need to be saved, Megan. And so we prayed, and I said, you need to pray, and she prayed, and it was a moment where my eyes were open, Jesus' spirit was there. And he did it. And then your faith grows as you get connected with the, the congregation of Jesus called the church. The gospel is revelation, and then the gospel is confirmed. There's confirmation in the gospel through the people of God. So, and this is also encouraging when you think about the Apostle Paul, and even the way our faith started, like, it's really encouraging and strengthening for me to think, like, there was a... a, a an initiation of the gospel through the, the, the influential people, Peter, James, and John. More of a Jewish style beginning to the church. And then Jesus did something totally different over here with Paul. Completely different. He was a hater, you know. He was trying to destroy it. And God opened his eyes, and Jesus, I should say, opened his eyes and revealed the gospel to Paul. And those groups were separated for nearly 14 years, and then they come together, and they're like, what are you saying? Are you saying that? Oh, I'm saying that. Oh, hey! <laughs> it's independent attestation. If you're trying to verify an event, right, what, how do you want to verify something that took place? Two or three witnesses, right? And so you go, and you say, okay, you, you go to this group of people, and you say, what happened? And they say, A, B, and C happened. And then you go to these people over here, and you say, well, what happened? A, B, and C. Well, did you talk to those people over there? If they did, then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't count because you're already influenced by them. But if they saw the same event from a totally different perspective and come to the same conclusion that they did, then you're like, whoa, two different people now have seen this. And that's what you see here at the beginning of our Christian faith. You've got these people saying Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose again for our sins, and you can be set free by faith, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, we believe all that. And then Paul got the same exact thing, even though they never talked for 14 years, basically. 
So we, we have our faith by revelation and by confirmation. It's independent on the one hand, but it's endorsed on the other. Thirdly, what, what else does this, this story about Paul's you know, coming to faith and coming to his uh, position as apostle teach us about the gospel? I would say number three is this, that the gospel that we proclaim is a gospel of transformation. Amen. Revelation, confirmation, and transformation. Listen to what Paul says about himself. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I mean, Paul was a bad man. He was savage, cruel, trying to destroy the church, the people in the church. And I was advancing in Judaism, but beyond many of my own age, among my people, I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach the gospels. I didn't go and consult with anyone. So the transformation you see with Paul is, I was trying to persecute and destroy the church, and by extension, Jesus. Jesus, when he appears to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the one who was zealous against Christ... And no, one of the commentators said, he wasn't in a frame of mind of change. I love that. I love that. He's a British guy, understatement. The only way that that type of man's mind is going to be changed is through a powerful, dramatic experience. He sees the resurrected Christ, and he goes from, in a sense, hating Jesus in the church to loving Jesus in the church. He goes from kind of this savage, you know, murderous, uh, you know, violent man into a man who's now proclaiming the fruit of the Spirit and who's willing to suffer and endure persecution for the sake of Jesus. It's this complete transformation. And the reason why I noted the little translation difference there, because it is in the Greek there, it does say in me. The idea here is that when Paul met the resurrected Christ, yes, there was this external experience of the resurrected Christ that fit him to be an apostle, sure, but Paul's saying more than that. When I saw the resurrected Christ and I literally heard his voice, something happened in me. Christ was formed in me. And so we, we belabor this point, I feel like, at New City, but it's so crucial. Christianity is not external alone. It's this internal reality where the spirit of Jesus is in your heart and in your life and now producing change and, and progress and growth in your love and service and devotion to Jesus himself. The gospel leads to transformation. It's a crucial part. and It's going to be a crucial part of this letter because people are saying, well, yeah, you can get in by faith, but then you need to add these other things. The law in order to really grow. And the gospel is no, you get in by faith, you receive the spirit by faith, and then you walk by faith in the spirit as he changes you. It's grace from beginning to end and faith from beginning to end. And so the, the good news of Christianity is that he forgives me in my sins, but he also changes me. You want to be new? <laughs> Believe the gospel. One other thing before we look at number four. We're going to make it. I'm rolling. We're going to make it. Is, um, it says in verse 17 that I didn't, in 16, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. When he, when he first met Jesus, he didn't like run to Jerusalem and, and make sure it was okay. The experience and the calling and the commission of Jesus were powerful enough in and of themselves. He didn't consult with anybody. I didn't go up to Jerusalem, but I went away into Arabia. 
And so there's a little bit of debate about this among you know, scholars and, and, and theologians, but I think the best understanding of this is that Paul went into Arabia for three years, kind of like on almost like a meditative sabbatical. Arabia was the area of Mount Sinai. It was the place where in the, you know, the tradition, in the good sense of Judaism, where Mount Sinai was and where the Lord appeared, and, and he took three years, in a sense, to go away and to contemplate and read the scriptures and pray. And then you see all of this massive theological giant that Paul is. He's one of the greatest theologians who ever lived. It's like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> Probably, and again, Mike Osborne, Box, speculation a little bit. He spent time there. I do think there's some application there. It's like, you come to know Jesus having a period of intensive commitment and withdrawal to be able to grow in your faith, if that's at all possible, take it. Okay? So anyway, that's a little bit of opinion. Now let's keep moving. So the gospel is revelation. The gospel is confirmation in the church. The gospel leads to transformation. The gospel that we proclaim is one of liberation. This is a huge theme in um, Galatians. If I you know, were to title the whole series, it would be a call to freedom. And you see this in chapter 2 when he shows up in Jerusalem for the kind of like big, in a sense, confirmation where he's going to share with the pillars of the church what he's been doing and he's going to hear from them. And so it's kind of this mutual affirmation of one another. He brings with him two of his co-workers, Barnabas and Titus. And so he says in chapter 2 and verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Again, that's this idea of, yes, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but you have to keep all of the Mosaic law to really be justified and be identified as part of the true church. And Paul's saying, no, even when I went to Jerusalem, we talked about this with Titus, and they didn't force Titus to be circumcised. Yet because of false brothers, yikes, false brothers exist, just so we're all aware of that, secretly brought in, slipped in to spy out our, everyone say this, freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. It's really good news for you to know and for you to believe that following Jesus actually leads to true freedom. Slavery shows up in a bunch of different kinds of forms. Here in this Galatian letter, it was like taking on extra rules and uh, obligations that we didn't need to take on. That led to a form of slavery. Other parts of the New Testament say that worshiping false gods and other religions, you're, you're enslaved to those gods and to those idols. And other parts of the New Testament talk about how our sin enslaves us. Hebrews talks about how the fear of death is something that enslaves us. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to set us free from all that. Whatever it is that is actually, you know, whatever you love is the thing that you serve. You're going to have some kind of a master, and the greatest master to have is Jesus, the one who says, I will set you free. And so the gospel that we proclaim, and we're going to spend more time on this in the coming weeks, a lot more time on this actually, is a gospel of liberation. You know, we really value freedom in this country. There you go. Land of the free, home of the brave, right? And that's a wonderful thing. That's actually one of the fruits of the influence of the gospel in our world. However, that said, true freedom as a human being is found through surrendering your life to the right master. 
the master that can really set you free. Money can set you free from a lot of things, but not everything. Family love can set you free from a lot of things, give you a lot of fulfillment, but it can't give you everything. What are you living for? What's the most important thing to you? What's your priority? That's your master. Could be yourself. Can you set yourself free from all the things? <laughs> you problem free right now? Not just for you, but for all the people around you? Whatever you love the most is what you serve. And now I ask you, can that thing that you serve set you truly free? The gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Galatians, says that Jesus is our Lord. Paul even said in verse 10 of chapter 1, I'm a slave of Christ. doesn't sound free. But if Jesus is your master, you are really free. So the gospel that we proclaim is a gospel of freedom. It's a gospel of liberation. It's a gospel of joy and peace and love and harmony. Let's be committed to that gospel. And then finally, this gospel is something that is so wonderful and so precious, you know, transformation, liberation. It ought to lead to, finally, proclamation. And it almost is like something that doesn't even need to be said. If someone is really getting the beauty of the gospel, you can't really shut them up. <laughs> when you're so full of the spirit of Jesus and he's producing his fruit in your life and somebody comes and asks you what's going on, you're just going to go, Jesus, Jesus, you've got to come and get to know Jesus. I'm praying for you that you would come to know the Lord. I'm praying that he would set you free. I'm praying for that, you know, you just have this overflowing sense. I can't help but proclaim it. And, and again, look at Paul's example here. God, or Jesus revealed himself to him, transformed him, in order that I might preach him among the nations. And so again, this is where we see the difference. You're not Paul, I'm not Paul. I'm not called to be an apostle to all of the nations. I'm not writing half of the New Testament. But by derivative... By, Paul, by following Paul's example, Jesus has revealed himself to me. He has transformed me. He has set me free in order that I might proclaim his excellency in my little sphere. <laughs> Whoever the Lord happens to bring into my little orbit, into my little world, I want to make sure that I tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he is so wonderful and the news is so good. And so this, this little couple paragraphs about Paul's autobiography actually has a lot to say and shape us about the gospel. It's revelation, it's confirmation in the body of Christ, leads to transformation, liberation, and finally it's a call for us to proclaim this good news. That's our mission statement here at New City, to declare and demonstrate the good news of Jesus and the power of the Spirit to every man, woman, and child. In conclusion, I want to highlight one theme that I did not mention all the way throughout, but now it's like dropping a little dye in the water that will color the whole thing. And that word is grace. Everything that happened in this gospel was by God's grace, God's initiative, God's favor. Paul certainly wasn't deserving. He was persecuting 
the very Jesus who, was, who had called him before his birth and didn't even know it. He didn't earn it. Grace is the unmerited favor. And I was thinking this morning, it says, your mercy is running after me. We sang that. And I thought, my first thought was like my temporal circumstances. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure how those are going to go. <laughs> and then I remember the promises of God that he is going to show me his grace, Ephesians 2, 7, in kindness forever. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, his grace is running after me. Whether I feel it right now or not. Grace. He, he was received the revelation by grace. He was confirmed in the church by grace. He was transformed by grace. He's been set free by grace. And even the privilege to proclaim the good news of Jesus is a ministry, Paul says, of grace. And so New City Church, we, we need to be shaped, encouraged, humbled by grace. Every good thing that we have, the advantages, as Pastor Dave talked to us last week, comes to us as a gift, so we don't boast. We're not satisfied with ourselves. We're not impressed with ourselves. We give thanks and gratitude and praise to God because it is all an unmerited gift purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved and shaped by grace.